My name is Brant Pavidic, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Go Big to Get Big podcast. And today's episode is with the incredible Brent Pinvidic. If you haven't heard his name before, I am sure you have heard some of the shows that he has produced, such as The Biggest Loser, Bar Rescue, Master Chef. He also has a top-rated podcast called the Why I'm Not Podcast. Oh, and he is also a well-known author for a book called The Three-Minute Rule, Say Less to Get More in Any Pitch. Brent shares with us on this podcast a lot about how he has had so much success in the television industry because of his ability to make incredible connections, rewriting the way he did elevator pitches, and by leaning into the things that he is gifted at and staying away from the things that he is not. We also dive deep into an incredible story about why he believes giving is not all about giving to charities and why he is doing acts of kindness that make him feel good and have a direct connection to him. And that has more meaning to it than donating to a charity. This is an incredibly fun episode. And Brent really challenges us on the societal norms around giving and why we as high performing entrepreneurs really want to create so much wealth. I'm positive there is something for everybody in this episode. And I can't wait for you to hear what Brent Pimvidic has to share with us. I'm excited to welcome Brent to the Go Big to Give Big podcast. Welcome, my friend. Hey, happy to be here. I love this, what you guys are doing. It's exciting. We did a little bit of research into and found out we had a lot of different connection points and right. crazy how small this world is where Brent actually did some schooling where Steve and I are from. And we have a lot of different connections and a lot of different mutual points along the way. And no, 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 no. You guys are doing your podcast and living where I'm from. It's not, I did some schooling where you're from. That's great. I was there first, I think. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome, man. Well, look, I, I want to get into this. I have so many questions for you. You have such a diverse story. You've accomplished a lot along the way and really excited to get into it. So I'm going to start by just sharing like on one hand, you're an award-winning film director, TV producer, top rated podcast. You do all the art stuff very well. We'll, we'll keep that. We'll keep that brag going for a minute. On the other hand, you're a very savvy business owner, entrepreneur, a professional speaker, coach, consultant, the whole gamut on that side. How I'm, I'm sure you're going to share this in your story, but how did you at one point realize that you had the ability to take what you were doing in the arts world and combine it with the entrepreneur world or the TV directing world and combine it with your entrepreneur world to create something magical in the life that is Brent? Well, listen, I'd love to tell you it was a all by design and my geniusness, but it really wasn't. I mean, it was it was a little bit of happenstance just because, as you know, you guys know, in Canada and Victoria specifically, it's a it's a much harder entrepreneurial route than anywhere else. And I didn't know any different growing up there. And so when I moved to the United States and I moved to Los Angeles and I got into television, what I found was I found success very quickly. 
And a lot of that was, yeah, I had some good ideas and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But mostly it was people appreciated the potential and they were excited to try things. And I found my people, right? This is where I was meant to be. And so I, I thrived for the first time my entire life. I actually started to thrive. And so from that perspective, it was like I became addicted to the feeling of being accepted and successful and winning at something for the first time and not being told I was ridiculous or silly or any of those things, right? And so it wasn't a matter of like trying to hone my skills in a business side. It really was the creative and the passion and the enthusiasm I had for the world sort of was infectious. And and when things work, things work really well. And specifically in television and film, the creative leads, right? Like I ended up being promoted to these huge jobs, mostly because of my creative abilities, not because of my entrepreneurial abilities. My entrepreneurial abilities are amazing on a creative side. They are absolutely atrocious on an operational side. So, but at the end of the day, like if you're the guy creating the shows and making all the business, well, guess what? You have to put up with it, right? So, and I make that joke all the time. Like you, you don't want me to be in charge of anything if you can help it. I want to dive into that for a, for a quick sec. Obviously you sound like you're a big visionary type of guy. You've, yeah. you've created a lot of businesses and along the way you've had the struggles of a lot of people of like running the operation side of it. At what point were you able to pull yourself into that direction and realize like, hey, I'm not good at operations. I'm good at being a visionary and make the distinction and say, this is where I'm going to go and I'm going to let other people take care of that for me. That was an evolution and like it was a tough evolution because for me, it was like I made this, I I do this executive group that I do all these masterminds and we just had one this weekend and one of my themes this week was the seven peaks, right? Like there are seven summits, the highest seven summits in the world. And if you're a climbing person, that's your goal in life. It's so clear and so defined. There are seven of the highest peaks. I want to climb all of them. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you wake up every day with a kind of a vision, right? And for a lot of us, we don't have seven summits, right? I don't like climbing that much. So, so my group was doing an exercise of what were your seven peaks? What were the, like, what, are, where are you in life? Are you, have you hit three of them? Have you hit five of them? What do you have left, right? And for me, Moving to the United States was was my first big, huge summit. Getting a big corporate job. I had a big corporate job running one of the networks, right? And for me, being an entrepreneur since I was like 14 years old, I always had that sort of doubt if I had any real skill or I was just selling my way through it, right? And so to get a big sort of stuffy corporate job meant a validation for me that someone thought I was good. It wasn't just me creating it for myself, right? And a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, will understand that. I got fired from that job rather quickly because it's just not a good fit. It's just not what I do. And then the the third peak for me was that realization. I got offered a massive job at one of the major networks. And that is a life-changing job. Big, like, I mean, a big job. <laughs> like, And I turned it down. Not because I didn't want it, not because it wasn't paying me an obscene amount of money, but because I knew I wouldn't be successful. And I had enough leverage in the business and enough reputation that it's like, I kind of need to be successful. And so what I had said to the, to the lady who was, who was running it, I just said, you won't get me. You'll get what you think is me, but that's not really who I am. I can't perform. Like if I have to be successful at this job, it's not doing what makes Brant Brant. It, it's, it's me managing different departments and making sure nobody's upset and all the mistakes I made at my first corporate gig. I was like, I will make sure I don't make them here because I want to win. But if you have me in a winning mode in a corporate setting, you don't have me in a winning mode from a creative set. Right. And that for me was like a big moment. And I realized that it didn't detract from who I was or what I was able to do because I had enough confidence and leverage in the success I had already had. So going into my next gigs, it was like, hey, it's fine, but just know that I don't run businesses very well. I can envision business. I can 
advise. I do all that stuff. Genius. Like, but actual, like the CEO role. Ooh, yeah. No, not what you want me to do. And I just found there's a lot of power in, in that sort of self deprecation. People appreciate that. It gives you credibility to other things that you want. And so that was a big moment for me being able to turn that gig down and to really accept what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. That's phenomenal. And I think that's something so many people struggle with. And I know myself as similar to yourself, a visionary guy, it's hard to say no to stuff because of your inability to do something because you just want everything to succeed. And to be able to do that is so fascinating. And along the way, you've had to pitch a lot of people and do a lot of things. And you've obviously got an incredible book out around learning how to pitch and do that differently. And I want to dive a little bit into that now, but how has learning the art of selling yourself got you to where you are today? Well, listen, I think that it's really a storytelling exercise. And can you lead people through your information? I remember struggling as an entrepreneur, like trying to raise money in someone's in their living room. If I don't get $5,000 out of them, I won't eat. Right. And what that trains you is not how to be a great salesman. It trains you how to present your information without sounding like you need the money. Because the second you sound desperate, you are out. One of my best friends says all the time, money runs away from anything that chases it, right? And so that was actually one of the biggest learning lessons that I learned was like how to make the presentation just about the information and just about the core of it, right? Without sounding promotional. And so from a guy who's a big A-type personality, super enthusiastic, when I pitch and present you something, it's like, it's almost jarring. It's so clean and it's so clear without, I don't hyperbolate any of that. You want to talk to me in personal stuff? It's hyperbole all day long. But when we talk about business and I talk about an idea or a pitch or a presentation, it is clean and it is simple. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sell you anything. It just is what it is. And that conveys a level of confidence and a level of security. And people are drawn to that for sure. Like an educational story, right? Yeah. That's what people want more than anything in, in the world. They want information before anything. We, we, we make decisions in very clear ways in life, right? We conceptualize them. We contextualize them. And then we actualize them, right? I have to understand what it is I'm thinking about, what's my decision based on. I have to figure out how it's going to work for me and what my what the implications of that are. And then I have to basically say, okay, I can rationalize this. I'm going to make this actually happen, right? And that's the same decision whether you decide what shirt you're going to wear today or whether you go to war with another country. It None of that matters, right? It's the same decision process. And so when you build a story to help people get through that process, that's where they have <clears throat> a better decision on your behalf because they'll have more information, right? And we we solve problems of do we want to do something, for example, based on information and engagement. Once I can get an idea of what we're talking about, what is it, how does it work, now I can ask questions. Now my brain can think of scenarios. Now I want to engage. And what a lot of people do is they mix all that up and they're just throwing all their information at people all the time and there's no value created. And what Hollywood storytellers do incredibly well is to build into the value. They build to the hook of the story. They build to the moment. You will watch the Shawshank Redemption for an hour and a half before Andy Dufresne escapes, right? Spoiler alert. But, you know, you and you can watch it again and you still know what's going to happen and you still like it because it's good storytelling. It leads it. We don't open Shawshank Redemption with Andy Dufresne escapes from this horrifying prison. Let me tell you why. Like, that's not the way it works, right? And so I think people pitch like that. And that's why they're having, they meet with such resistance. And I think the book has done well 
mostly because of that, because people have been getting resistance and it's, yeah, if you could get a, if you get a time machine and go back to the eighties, you could use an elevator pitch. Would you like to lose weight and eat anything you want? Mm, let me tell you how we do that, right? Hey, I've got an investment idea that'll make you 10 times your money by the end of the year. Does that interest you? Oh, yes. Tell me more. Like that doesn't work anymore, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's really about laying things clean and clear in a specific order so that people understand it and then you can engage. I think the, in addition to that too, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think so many, so many people's bullshit radar has gotten so much stronger over the last, I'll say decade. Yeah. And so as you're going through a story, like that radar has maybe a little bit more clearer image than just fact after fact after in a 38 second elevator pitch. Yeah. And, but, and I've been talking about that a lot about this. It's called the sophisticated audience, right? And they are. They are sensitive to claims and it's called the state and prove method. State and prove method used to work in advertising. It's the way Madison Avenue was built. I'm going to state something that you want and then I'll show you how we get it and I'll prove that it's true. I can make that claim, but it just doesn't work anymore because of the years of bombardment with ads, and click funnels, and clickbait and all this kind of stuff, right? And it's ironic. Like I used to on stage, I do a lot of public speaking and on stage, I used to have a whole thing about clickbait and how it worked. Now I don't even talk about it anymore because nobody's fooled by it. Like everybody knows what clickbait looks like now. So nobody can use that, right? And so it is incredibly difficult for people to get through that. And what I teach is the inform and lead method. I'm going to inform you of the basic elements, lead you to the conclusion that I want you to have. Not start with my conclusion and then hope to prove that it's true because people are like, yeah, that's probably crap, right? And I use a good example when I'm on stage, probably one of my more successful shows, a show called Bar Rescue. And the lead in that is a guy named John Taffer, big, huge, wild, outrageous guy in the bar business well the show is really he is gordon ramsay but for nightclubs right like like that's the pitch that's the hook that's everything right well i could go in to paramount and say i have the gordon ramsay of nightclubs because kevin the president ever would look at me and be like really gordon i mean he's not doesn't look like that now he's he's not even english like he'd have doubts all the way through now maybe i could convince him otherwise but that's not the way it happens i went in there and it's like this is John Taffer. Here's what he does. Here's the show. Here's how it works. Here's how we're going to produce it. Here's why we think it's interesting. John tells a story. And then Kevin Kay says to me, you know what? I think he could be our Gordon Ramsay for bars and nightclubs. Okay. Like that's how you lead someone to the conclusion you want. Right. And that is a, that is a core element because you don't want to instill doubt in your audience the second it starts and then have to overcome that over the next minutes. It's just a bad idea to begin with. Yeah, that's so smart. That's a big hurdle to to have to get through on what could be a really condensed sales call. Yeah. The, the where I want this kind of conversation to to lead into a little bit is you you build from day 1, your reputation has has been known for just having outstanding opening pitches and and that hook and that passion and that story. We, we've talked about it here for the last minute or two, but how can people today build a pitch that that stands out. Well, first you should buy my book because it will walk you step by step how to do that. But in essence, it's about simplicity. If I had to just give somebody the simplest thing, there's two pieces. One, all bullet points. All bullet points. That's what people want. Just give them the headline. That'll help you connect it. But two, I would put it into what I call the WAC method in order. The W-H-A-C. W is what is it? H is how does it work? A is are you sure? And C is can you do it? And that's the order any pitch should be in. The W is, what is it? And I mean, literally, could you just tell me what it is? Don't start with how big the marketplace is. Don't start with the problem that you're solving. None of that crap. What is it that you do? I am a personal trainer 
that specializes in getting celebrities ready for major roles. Okay, that's what it is. There's, there's this pitch, right? Like now, now you already kind of get a sense of it. So then you go to how does it work, which is in the literal sense, how does that work? Okay. I move into a celebrity's home and stay with them for 90 days before the role. I never leave their side. So they never break form and get all their exercise in. Okay. So like just in two sentences, like, do I need to pitch you a bunch more? You kind of already have the idea, right? Like, all right. He's works on celebrity actors, big roles. How does he do it? Like it's the simplest version. There's no doubt in my mind. You're right. Like you could almost pitch this to somebody now in two sentences. Then you do the, are you sure? Well, now I will use some facts, some figures, some logic and reason to basically like, are you sure you can do that? Is, are you sure that works? Like that's the kind of idea, right? And that is, I trained Chris Hemworth for Thor. I trained Will Smith for Ali. Like, okay. Like I got it. I have, I'm on a standing contract with Paramount for all their moves. Huh. So now it's like, there's some validity there, right? Like, are you sure about that? And that, that could be things like statistics. One in five Americans are overweight, whatever it is, right? Like those statistics back up the sort of elements of it, what it is and how it works. So it helps think like, are you sure you can actually do this? Yeah, yeah, we can do this. This is, this is a functional thing. This has happened before. We've done some proving. We've tested this out, like something that makes it feel grounded. And then the, the C is, can you do it? Can you do it? You, me, whoever you're pitching to, right? Can you do it? I'm booked six months out. You can only book me through a major studio or I'm booked three months out. The studio pays directly. So it doesn't cost you a thing. You loop me in at the script time, right? Or I'm $2,500 an hour and I only work on Tuesdays or the the patent is going to be signed next week and then you can get an order or it's in the warehouse right now. Like whatever it is that says I can actuate this. What, what did you, what do we actually do? Right. Sign on the dot, whatever that is. That's after. It's the very end of the pitch because if you love this whole thing and he says, yeah, but I'm booked for a year, like you, you might try to solve that up. Or if it's like, yeah, but it's $25,000 an hour, you're like, oh, I can't afford it, but maybe we can do something else. Like if you want it, you'll solve the problem. Or it's like, I've, I've never done this before. And that happens all the time. Like when we, with Biggest Loser was a genius pitch, right? Overweight contestants compete to lose the most weight. Whoever loses the most weight is the biggest loser. We split the teams into two teams, eight on each side. Every week there's going to be challenges. They do all that stuff. Oh, America's wildly obese. Obese people are fascinated with weight loss, and we're going to do this as a show in eight episodes. Can you do it? Right? Was the bit part of that? The guy who sold that was a guy named Ben Silverman, who was an agent, never produced a television show. So the answer is no. I can't produce it. I don't know how to produce TV. Basically, well, the network doesn't go. Oh, such a great show. We were almost there, but now, sorry, we're done, right? They go, whoa, we'll find someone to produce it. They pick up the phone, they call my, our company, boom, that's how the biggest lips come together, right? So the what is it and how does it work is by far the most important. Like everything else is like whatever, that you'll get to that. If people like what it is and how it works, they will help you solve that problem. That's a hell of a system you have there. And I'm I'm looking forward to picking up that book and going through it myself, yeah. picking up a couple of pieces along the it's way. It's all right. It's working yeah, out so far. Yeah, no doubt. Clearly. How does that process or how does that conversation change from selling maybe a $39.99 a month subscription to, hey, I need $64 million to produce this show? Big ticket right. item, small ticket. So those two things are wildly different, obviously, in size and scope. And for the pitch, they're exactly the same. Makes no different the size or scope at all. If you think because your thing is bigger or more complicated, you got to speak more, you got to say more, you got to have more, you are crazy. You will absolutely bury yourself. Now, 
you're looking for $64 million and you're raising much money, you need the backup, the after pieces when they ask for the charts and the graphs and all the details and the validations. Of course, you need all that, but not in the initial pitch at all. In fact, it might even be easier to go simpler because at the end of the day, it's like you're talking about somebody and you want $64 million. You can't convince someone to do that. So it's like you either get what we're doing or not. Like, why don't we just give you the basics? And if this doesn't feel right, like I got other meetings to go to. Because if it's a thirty nine ninety five subscription, you might be able to talk somebody who's on the fence, right? So you might, maybe you want to talk a little bit. But for the most part, the structure is exactly the same. Can you tell me what this is? Can you tell me how this works? Great. Okay. Are you, have you done this before? Is there any validation this is a good idea? Anything that says this might be a good idea. I like it, but is there anything that says it's a good idea? Oh, really? And how can you actually execute it? Done. Now, we can talk deeper if we want. That's so good. And everything you're saying is just pure gold. If you are listening to that, I'd just rewind back a few minutes and re-listen to that again, because that is exactly how you win this game. And I want to transition a little bit into, obviously, we just talked deep into sales and business, but Brent, as a human, likes to do fun stuff. You're very adventurous. You think big, you do big. I believe you just sold your home and bought an RV and traveled across the, the country. Like what got you to that point now? Has that always been something that you've instilled into your business as you've been doing it? Or is it something of like grind hard, have the success and then go live the life that you want after? I mean, no, it was, I, gr- I, I was hard grinding for many, many years and I saw a lot of wealthy and successful friends of mine that sold companies and showed up at work. And I actually remember it was a very specific moment, which really bothered me. One of my friends was the head of NBC, big the chairman of NBC, worked for years. He, he's one of the first people that offered me a job to come down to LA. And he had no idea how much he impacted my life. Wildly successful. And he retired from NBC and left the business where I thought he left the business. And one day I'm in the lobby of MTV getting ready to go slill some other stupid show idea. And in watched Jeff Gaspin and he's sitting there and I, I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm pitching a show. And he's pitching a show to some junior executive at MTV. And I was so disturbed by that. And I was like, why are you, what, why, why? You should be out on a boat somewhere in San Tropez or something like this. You should not be here. And another one of my friends was the head of Buna Murray, Jonathan Murray. And it was the same thing where I saw him pitching a show and I was like, hey, didn't you re- like, Shouldn't you retire? He's like, I love it. And I was like, you love it. Like you love pitching to junior executives and doing notes and like the process they'd become addicted to. And that disturbed me because I could feel myself getting into that mode. And I was already getting to a moment where I had stopped being about the creative and the, and the energy of that. And it started being chased paychecks. And as my, as everything got bigger, I was chasing bigger things and bigger. And it's like, you're already getting to the point where you're not spending the money you're making anyways. So it's like, what am I doing this for? Just to collect a bunch more so that I don't spend that? It just, none of that fit with me. And so eventually I just got to the point where I was like, I'm just not doing anything fun. I need to like just adjust. And once I started down that process, my brain just changed. And when I, I sort of semi-retired from television about three or four years ago, and I've been teaching and coaching this high performance series that I do and on the pursuit. I'm in the relentless pursuit of enjoyment, I call it. And it has just been a life-changing element, for sure. Walk us through the journey of making that decision to take on the the travel component of uprooting your family, putting them in a trailer. I'm sure that's the tail end of this story here of like, made the money, hit the success, realized it was going there. And then you're like, screw it. 
I'm just going to go all in on my family. Yeah, and it, it started before that. It started, the story goes like this. I'm on the four or five and I see this guy with jet skis on a trailer. And I was like, when was the last time I went jet ski? Like eight years ago or something like that. And I was like, I love jet skiing. Like, what the hell's going on here? And I just got, I, I started to get frustrated. I thought, I don't even, not only do I not know anybody with jet skis, I don't even know a friend in my business that has a pickup truck. So I'm all by myself. Like in the end, I was like, I can't deal with this. I, I am renting jet skis. I'm going to go jet ski. And so I, I found a place Long beach. I rented five jet skis. I sent an email out to like 30 of my friends. Hey, I rented these jet skis Saturday. We're going to go jet skiing in the morning. We'll stop for lunch. We'll come back. It'll be great. Fun time. And I got like 25 people that wanted to go. And so five of us went, I posted on my social media and we got, and like, it was so much fun. And then the head of CBS called or emailed me and said, Hey, that was so awesome. Oh, let me know when you're doing it again. I wanted to go so badly. I was like, I would like to hang out with him a little bit more because that's part of the business. And so I was like, well, it turns out, Tom, I'm doing it next weekend. Oh, great. So he came out the next weekend. And again, this time I had eight of them. Man, Catalina Island, it was amazing. And they were all like, oh, thanks for putting this together. That was so cool. And I was like, okay, well, what else do I want to do? And then next week I was like, I kind of like to go off-roading and like those dune buggy razor things. So found a place. Rented five of those, sent an email out. Guess what? I had five more friends coming out. And so it started like that. Oh, I think I'd like to do camping. I think it, it, so that became the, the genesis of this sort of travel and adventure club that I started doing nonprofit for fun. It was just a matter of like, I could figure out a way to go have fun anytime I wanted doing anything with a bunch of friends. So when COVID hit and it knocked out a bunch of my adventure stuff that I had already planned and you didn't know how long it was going to last, but I just could not live with the idea of my kids sitting around the house for another year. And I knew LA was going to come back to school. And so we just started talking about like, we got to do something big, except there's nowhere to go. And so one of my kids was like, it'd be cool to see all 48 states someday. And I was like, well, we could do that this year. And is there like, oh, that'd be kind of fun. I was like, wait, we, we're going to go do that this year. And so I did. I bought a massive RV and we went for six months and we went to all 48 states, which drove around the entire country. And it was the greatest thing. And I just, I had to keep telling myself that like at any moment, if I don't like it, but just drive into the dealership, drop off the thing and fly home. Like you're three days away from being home. Like it never happened. So it wasn't as big a commitment as everybody sort of gets into. And we loved every second of it. And, and it, I make the joke all the time, but like I have a superpower in those scenarios, right? I have a credit card. It can pay for anything. So how risky is it? Like it's not things break dad with a super cape swoops in and pays for it. Like, it wasn't a huge, it was a big commitment in mentally, but physically it was very easy. Anybody could do this kind of thing. You're just changing ideas, changing, shifting gears, not that big of a deal. What impact has that had on the future now for you? Where are you going, thinking bigger, enjoying the freedom, <laughs> enjoying the life? What, what does the future it's look like? Bad. It's been <laughs> bad. I had trouble working before when I, after I retired, I kind of had trouble working the day. Now it's damn near impossible. I mean, I came <laughs> back and moved a couple of my clients into purely advisory roles where I was like, I, I don't want to do this full-time anymore. And I wasn't doing full-time, but I have a lot of responsibility. And I just want to, I just travel and I just adventure and I do these elements. I bring good people together. And that's my goal is to spend as much time doing that kind of stuff. It's fun. Like, yeah, it's adventures, but that just like, that just substitutes really for, I want to be around really cool people doing really fun things, regardless of what that is. It's not adrenaline. It's not that kind of stuff. It's just, I like, I like doing things. I like, I like making the turn from spending all of my time and energy and everything I've ever known trying to pull together as much tokens of 
monetary tokens as I can. And finally getting to the point where I'm learning to use those to take those tokens and exchange them for joy. And I'm stunned how many major high-level people reach out for that specific details. Like, how do I get more joy in my life? And how do I convert some of what I've been doing from a, I only win at the office to I win in other areas of life? That's so special. I've been fortunate enough to travel to 29 different countries. And I think that travel for me has always taught me life lessons, no matter where I went and whether I was in cold trimmed hotel rooms or the slums of Kathmandu, the, the people oftentimes brought me a lot of joy. And the, the, the fact that I could give back either my, my time or my knowledge or, or whatever it may be in monetary pieces. How, how did that trip with, with your family, like encourage you or inspire you to, to have a, a greater impact in the world? Well, I had been doing that a little bit anyways. I just didn't expect America to be as good as it was. You get in your little bubble and you watch the news or you see your Facebook feed or whatever it is and you think the world is tearing itself apart and you think everybody's at each other and the political divide is so great that how are we going to function? And then you go into the real world and you're like, yeah, so nobody's talking about that. They got their own world. They got their own life. And unlike Los Angeles, they live in communities, right? And I think Victoria is a little bit like that too where it's just sort of like it's so disconnected, right? Because everybody from everywhere is there. It's the only place to be, right? Like, so there's no connectivity. If you're in a certain area in Texas or Alabama or Maine, like a lot of people have similar interests. They all fish. They do, you know what I mean? Like if you're in Boulder, there's a lot of Lululemon and rock climbing going on, right? Like, and it's a community and people live in these communities. And for us to go and see that really gave me some inspired elements. And I do this thing called the Pass 100 Club, which is just a goofy little thing that I've been doing with $100 bills. And like, I find a way to give somebody a $100 bill for some reason in every place we went. And so, yeah, it's sometimes I'll tip a waiter or waitress, but that's a little mundane for me, right? I like to try to find something a little more interesting. I'm, I'm more inclined to like buy somebody's dinner that's sitting beside me and then like not say anything to them, right? Or, or, or say it as I'm leaving. I just did that this weekend where there was a couple people in there and I was just like, Hey guys, hope you guys have a great night. I bought dinner for everybody. And then you just leave, right? Like it's just like, because I, I, I get off on the creativity around it, right? And so giving, and part of our trip, we took someone to dinner every single night, everywhere we went. You found some stranger who was like, hey, will you come to dinner with us? Tell us about your town. Tell us about your life, what's going on, right? My kids loved it. And so I just found that, that I, could, I could fill my creative needs in that area as well as trying to find fun, interesting things to do in that way. And being on the trip just made me realize like, man, the country's so good. People are so good. It's amazing. That's awesome. That's such a small thing of giving that brings so much joy. And you've talked so much about like bringing you more joy and, and people don't realize that it's, it doesn't have to be a million dollar check. It can be as simple as yeah. taking someone for dinner and doing a few things. And giving back is something that's rarely talked about. That's why we talk a lot about it on this podcast. And we believe that what you give personally, you can be as quiet as you want. You can do it underneath the shadows, but as a business, publicly sharing a little bit of what you're doing inspires other people. How a, I guess a hard question to ask here, but why are people so quiet about their giving components of their businesses and how can they use the skills that you've presented us to use it in a way to help pitch or promote their businesses or themselves or their human life or things yeah. like that to inspire others? It's t- the reason is that it's tough, right? You don't want to be self-aggrandizing. You don't want to be virtue signaling, right? It's yeah. usually a lot of times it's like that. And the other thing is you have to be able to be really careful about being on the line of, like I said, going big 
and then giving, right? Like, hey, if you make me a multimillionaire, I'll give some money away does not really sit well, right? And I don't know if you know the 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 sandal place that does Tom's that does the giveaway, the the sandals, right? Like he had such a good run and we worked together on something and it was just like a fundamental problem for me, which was like, hey, if you buy millions of dollars of these shoes and with us with our massive profit margin because we're telling you you're gonna give, we're gonna go give a bunch away all over the place. So the more successful you make my business, the more I'll give away and I'll unintentionally destroy certain economies in African countries because now nobody can make shoes there because I'm giving away so much of these crappy shoes or the socks. It like that structure sounds great, but it's, it's basically just grandizing for the sake of like, I want to tell you public what a great person I am so that you'll maybe pay a little bit more or you'll choose me over the next person. And then I can make a bunch of money and don't worry, I'll give you, I'll give some away. Right. And that is, and I get, I actually get recruited, not recruited, but I get submissions for help from a lot of companies that have that structure. And we give this away and we going to give 10% of our things. And it's like, I can sense it right away. I can smell it where it's like, great, you're doing that so that people will give you more and then you'll give a piece of that away. So it's like, I can only do well. I can only give, I can only give back. If I get a ton, that's not cool. Right. And I'll give you an example. One of my big clients is a company called X cures. They are an AI based advanced cancer platform that if you have advanced cancer, they will search the entire history of oncology to find alternative treatments for you. It is the most spectacular thing I've ever seen because people with cancer basically go into the computer and the computer spits out drugs that failed five years ago that you your symptoms could be a responder to or clinical trials that are going on or it's just amazing and the interesting side of that giving platform is it's free for the users it's free for the oncologists they can only do well as a company because they use the data they can only do well as a company if you as a cancer patient have something good that's it they can't get more patients unless they do well. So they they will be able to do incredibly well the more they give. The better they do for people, the more successful they become. It's the inverse of like, oh, make me successful and I'll donate something. It's like, hey, genuinely help people with cancer and do that well and not charge them and you can then become massively successful because you have so much medical data that the pharmaceutical companies will use that to help develop the next drug and do better by cancer patients, right? So I always sort of advise to like look for that side of it first, which is if you do well and you could do great by people, will it give you a chance to give back? Will it give you a chance to be successful? You run a lot of nonprofits yourself or not a lot, but you're in the nonprofit space and use that to create the experiences and help some yeah. kids and stuff. What's firing you up these days in that context of giving? I mean, listen, it's, I'm, it's not an altruistic thing, right? Like I, I give a lot of stuff, but I do that for me. Right. Like I'm, I'm less charitable than I think people give me credit for. I do it because it makes me feel awesome. And that's what I want. My, my goal in life, my next peak summit that I'm trying to get to is I want to provide value for people without any expectation for something in return. I don't want to be expected to deliver or I don't want something in return. If it happens, it happens. I'm fine with that, but I don't want to be held responsible, right? I want to, I want to give value effectively freely, but without somebody, because I find that joyous for me. I find being able to do that is exciting. And so anything I'm doing in those spaces where it's the E3 cam, where I'm trying to train kids to be entrepreneurs because the schooling is a joke for that. 
He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to help them, but it's because I love that. I love providing value and doing that. I don't need anything in return for it. I just, I just gig that, right? And my mastermind groups, they, they don't cost anything. Like, I don't charge for that. And I make the joke. It's run through my nonprofit, which usually means I just pay for people's vacation. But I don't do that for, because it's a charity. I do that because just I love providing value for people. And when I do it without them having to expect to compensate or to do something in return, it just makes me feel like a hero. And God damn it, I like that feeling. I like being the hero. End of story. I go on these mastermind trips and like I custom make things for people and I like design things. I'll show you. Like I get, I get this kind of thing, right? Where I, I made, you see, oh, you're not even going to be able to see it, are you? My stupid thing on. <laughs> That's hilarious. Just an invisible well, product. Pick it up. <laughs> there it is. Oh, there it is. Right. I custom design and personalize stuff for everybody. And it's like, people ask, like, why do you do that? It's like, I don't know, because people like tell me I'm pretty after. I don't tell you. Like, I like it. I like doing that kind of stuff. And that's, that's where I've focused on is it's less on what I'm trying to make myself feel charitable about and more like, how do I really enjoy this? Cause I could give away money. I don't. I really give away very little money anymore unless it's directed and personal and interesting. Like I have to find an interesting reason to do it. And then I'm excited about it. Right. I had a guy came fix something on my truck when we were traveling and he was telling me that he's going to eventually stop doing these mobile welding things and he's going to start his own business. And he had this piece of equipment that he bought. And as soon as he raises enough money, he's going to repaint it and resell it. It's going to be equipment reselling. And I was like, this is awesome. So I paid him for the work and then I went and got a fair amount of cash. And I was like, I'm going to invest in your company. Here's the money and go finish that thing and let me know how it works. And if a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now, you're like wildly successful and you sell it for millions and millions of dollars, like look me up, take care of me or pass it on to somebody else. Like I love that because it was creative, right? And I could have given away $5,000 to somebody else or to a charity and I would not feel the same way. So my charitable giving is dependent on my ability to be creative and feel some fun out of it. And like one other one, like yesterday, I, I have a truck and I had to take it to the dealership and it was wrong. They're towing in the guy tow truck super slow and I'm going to miss the day. I'm going to miss. They're going to close the dealership and I'm not going to get my truck and it's going to be a nightmare. And so I talked to the guy on the phone and he says, he'll stay. He'll wait. He'll wait for me. So he waits, keeps the dealership open. I get there. I'm 15 minutes late. It gets me my rental car. It's amazing. So I give him my hundred dollar thing and he's like a head guy at the dealership, right? He doesn't need on at all. And he's like, I don't take tips. Come on, get out of here. Right. I was like, no, but do you have a wife? And he's like, yes, yeah. like stop on the way home and buy her something, some flowers or something. And then one day someone will save your day and you'd give it to them. And he was like, okay. And it's like, ah, I go feel like awesome. And like, you know what I mean? So for me, it is dependent on like what I get out of it. I love that, man. And I love the conviction that you have around it and just the passion for it's not, it's not necessarily an ego thing, but just like, this is what makes me feel good. This is what I'm going to be okay with. And this is how I'm going to continue to impact people around me. And I think it's just, it's just a win, 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 win solution or a situation. The, the one thing I want to ask before we kind of transition a little bit is just around like future generations. And I love that you work with kids and I love it even more that it's in an entrepreneurial type of space. We support a group here called Kids Support and they help young kids get into sports whose family can't afford them to get through. Because I think that in, in sport, same as in, 
in entrepreneurship, there's so many different skills that you pick up, life skills that you pick up that you don't get just through an educational system in, in, in today's in today's world. What can we do as parents to support our kids' ideas to pursue the next big thing that changes humanity? I, you know what, you're asking the wrong person. I I figured that out. Like I have three kids and my son is as far away from an entrepreneur as possible. I always tried growing up to instill some things in him. He just couldn't have cared less. He's a philosophy major right now. And about, I don't know, six weeks ago, he's been helping my friends and a bunch of other friends with their social media promotion because he knows a lot of inside stuff on that. And next thing he's like starting a business with his friends in a real way. And over the last six weeks, he's like, I love being an entrepreneur. I love running a business. This is amazing. And I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you because I tried all this time. He was completely against it. He, he found it on its own. So I think that is hard, right? And I got friends that have kids going on both sides of the spectrum. So I think that the value that they see in being an entrepreneur or doing big things and big vision is important. Whether you can actually translate, translate that to what they're going to do in the future, like I really don't know because I haven't, I mean, my kids are all over the place with stuff and I have no idea what's going to happen with that. Just do, do you that. still support them in that sporadicness? I know like, yeah, 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 but, but that's because I'm not like my dad. Like my dad did not wake up every day trying to figure out how to make me happy. Like that's just not his job. His job was to prepare me for the world. In hindsight, he did a pretty good job. Am I doing as good a job for my kids? I don't know. I don't think so, to be honest. I think the unbelievable, amazing relationship I have with my three children is so rewarding and awesome, but also for me. And maybe that's depriving them of some of the tough times and the tough love and the hardship and the poverty and the things that I went through and that my dad was happy to foist onto me, right? And that created who I am today. And so it's like, I may not be able to give my kids those same gifts. So I'm giving them other ones and other things about our relationship, but there's a cost to everything. There is. And I think the the grassroots of it comes down to just the values that you're able to instill them, whether that's yeah. not quite tough love, but I think the, the core heart of it all is really what drives a lot of their future. But just before we jump into our giving rapid fire round, I just want to ask you a question to more so story-wise, but to break on yourself for a second and talk about a time where even now, when you think about it, a time of giving that still gives you goosebumps today. I think it was, it was a a company that came through that was just like, they had spent all their money on everything. They were going completely broke. It's such a good idea. And I literally spent just so many hours fixing all of their stuff and they raised $20 million. And it was just like, I say no to so many people that it now bothers me. So I started like, I'm not super cheap to hire. And so I now find that I'd almost rather just like, Hey, I'd rather just give you a couple hours of my time and just advise you. than ha- you figure out how to pay me because if you could pay me enough to get me to do this, like I wouldn't feel very good about it. Cause now I got to really work like, Oh my God, like he's going to really expect stuff like and. and and one client here or there, regardless of how much I charge, isn't going to change my life. So it's like, I don't really want the responsibility. I'd almost rather just give you free stuff. And so I do a lot of every once a quarter. I'll usually do like a retreat where it's 
I'll go to uh, one of my places in Florida, this beach place that I rent all the time. And I invited people from my group, my subscribers. I was just like, hey, you want to spend a day? You come down to my beach place, stay at the beach for a couple of days. I'll spend a day and I'll, we'll go through your stuff, right? Make a donation to my charity and whatever it is. And you can come stay at the beach, right? So I was going to do two people. It ended up being seven people. And it was just an amazing thing because it's like, they're not paying me. I'm letting them use my house on the beach in Key Largo. And then I spend a day with them and restructure their business, right? And it's just like, that's a big give for very little, right? And it's like, but I love that kind of stuff. And so, and there was a woman there, probably the other one that is hard for me to even talk about, but there was a woman who asked me to come because she lost her son when he was 13 in, in his sleep. And she had a hard time processing that, as you can imagine, but she decided to build a soccer field in his honor. And the process of getting the soccer field built was so tumultuous and, and wild. She had no idea it was going to be so difficult because people said they were supportive when the, when it was happening. But when they were actually doing behind the scenes, they didn't want a soccer field in their backyard kind of thing. So she got through that and she had written everything down in this book. And she just wrote me this letter saying, I have no idea how to, I can't explain it to someone. When someone asked me, what's the book about? I freeze. I can't even talk about it. You think if I came and spent some time with you, you'd be able to get me to pitch this book idea and i was like oh my god like oh yeah so you know and i couldn't say no right so and i remember i had overlapped people so you come in on let's say you came in on a tuesday i work with you that night and then we go to dinner with a new person who flies in we all go to dinner you fly you go out the next morning i work with her so she came in that night and we all went to dinner and the guy in the front seat said oh blah, oh you're doing a book what's your book about she literally i mean no, she literally froze. She couldn't say English words. Like it was just so debilitating. And then we spent the entire day. And by the end of it, she could explain to people what her book was about. And she's out publishing and doing all that. And that was a pretty cool moment. So that's so cool, man. I love that. I love that you're so much of your givingness is just not just like, Oh, I give away free books for people. It's like genuinely helping people that can't afford it or needs an extra yeah. little bit. That is so awesome. But again, like, again, like, don't pay. I want to paint the right picture here, to be honest. Yes, people can't afford it. But again, like, I get a lot out of that, right? Like, totally. that's a big hero moment. I get to wear my cape and, like, you know, yeah. everybody's clapping as I fly off into the sunset, right? And that's a big thing for me. And it isn't, this is what I, I train a lot of the, the, the CEOs I coach on this as well, is that it isn't about the reactions from people. You can't do and you can't give wanting a reaction from people and expecting them to say things. And a lot of people do that and it's kind of icky. I do it for the expected reaction in my own mind. I think about what they must be thinking or saying, and that's good enough, right? When I, when I pay for someone's dinner and I walk out, it's like, they don't, I don't give them a chance to come and hug me and tell me how great I am. Like, but in my mind, I'm picturing what they're doing at the table going like, what he paid for it. Why would he do that? And like, that gives me such joy, right? Like, so my brain talks to myself about how great these people must think I am. And that's good enough. And it's like, I don't need them to say it to me or be connected to me. I just need to know it in my brain that it's happening, right? So even when I do it, when then, when nothing's happening, I, I can picture the person coming back to their car and their parking tickets. But I can picture that in my mind. And that brings me enough joy to make it worthwhile. That's awesome, dude. Absolutely love it. And we could probably sit here and talk all day about giving and stories. And I want to make sure we get through the final giving round here before we send you off, man. So uh, rapid fire questions, quick answer. Let's hear what you got to say. Brag on one charity that you like. I like St. Jude's Children's Hospital. 
they've been really, really good to me. Yeah. Perfect. What's what gets you more excited? Donating a massive check with a huge number that gets you thrilled or spending a week physically helping people? I like physically helping people. Yeah. Way more, way more engaged for me. Who inspires you with their giving? My best friend is a guy named Jeff Butler. He, I wrote about him in the book. He's the plumbing guy. And we just sold his company. We, we work at, we just, we sold, <laughs> he sold his company. I was there trailing around. Hey, let's go. Cool. No, I mean, listen, we've been working together for a very long time, but he, he sold his company and he did a lot for the employees that worked there in a way that I've never, I mean, I've been around a lot of people and I've never seen anybody do that for people that work for him and the people around him. So it's, it's pretty cool to watch. Do you think that new businesses should incorporate a giving component from day one or wait until they've seen some success and have some money in the bank? I mean, I don't know if you guys are going to like this anchor, but I don't think you should in the beginning. I don't think if you, if you can't do it organically, if you're just doing it to get attention and to talk about it and to put it on your website and to try to get more revenue, then don't do it. People will see through it. There's no good. If you could be, if you become successful and then you start to add that to your thing, that's awesome. But doing it as a way to help you get successful is not quite right. Beauty. When you hear go big to give big, what does it mean to you? I equate that to be like, hey, if you do well, you'll be able to do well for other people. When the oxygen mask comes down the plane, it's like, get yourself situated first and then you can do great things for everybody else. And that's standard for search. I do a lot of outdoor stuff, standard search and rescue procedures, standard procedures. Like you got to be in a good place emotionally, physically, mentally. Then you, that's the best you can be for everybody else. Right. And I, I noticed that when I moved to the United States and got into the business, like that was the best version of me that's ever been. And it's because like, well, I was finding success and finding admiration and finding people that like appreciated me. Well, it's, guess what? Then I can go spread that around. And this is the danger of a little bit of what I speak on. If you're not in a certain stage in life, like don't take my advice as a thing to be like, Oh, let's go quit my job and just go roam around. Like, no grind till you have enough or you can go do this emotionally free. You just don't want to blow past the exit, right? Like you just want to keep making it forever by like, no, grind, grind hard. And then like, once you have your, once you have your shit together, ooh, it's easy to go out and do good things for people. Right. I can give away some money because it has no effect on my life. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't have the money, right? Like I just wouldn't. I'm a nice guy. I'm a charitable guy. I'm not that nice. But I'm not that charitable. Right. Other than joy, in one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Other than joy. I mean, I would guess I would say satisfaction. Wait, no, <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what. The truth is, is winning. Mm. I feel like I've won that situation. It's a new one. That's beautiful. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, our final question for you, the question we ask all of our guests, age-old question. Sure, you've heard it before. Do you believe that money can buy you happiness? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you got to know how to spend it. You got to learn. You got to train. You got to be prepared. I wrote, I write for Forbes. I wrote an article for Forbes about how we as society, particularly men, we plan for success, but we never prepare for it. Right. You want to become rich and successful, but you have no idea how to be rich and successful. You only know what you don't have. And so if you spend all of your life and every second and every waking moment trying to get to a certain place, when you get there, everything about you will be like, I got to go find a different place, right? So money 
or just absolutely can you can trade money for joy. That is just the end of the joke. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know how to do it and they don't know how to get a good return on that investment, right? Because they have so much money that they can't spend it to get a requisite amount of joy, right? And again, my friend just sold his company and he's been talking about buying a plane. And I'm like, do not buy a plane. Now, this is detrimental to me because I'd be flying on his plane, which would be amazing. But once you have a plane, you can never go back. That that section of joy is gone. So now you can't use your money to buy anything cool. You know what I mean? And right now, flying first class everywhere is still kind of cool. And it brings so it's like stretch this out as long as you can, like so that you can use the money for actual joy. And I think that if you if you don't have money now, as things start to grow, you need to learn and practice like any skill on how to enjoy it and how to use it and how to get basically use it tokenize it tokenize it for units of joy so that when you get if you end up with a pile of it one day you'll know how to spend it and what you'll find is that you then need less mm. and you're like oh this is amazing it doesn't mean quit your job and go be a ski bum or a whitewater <laughs> rafting guide right now that's not what i said that's awesome man well thank you so much for coming on today dropping a ton of wisdom, giving us a different perspective and showcasing all we can do to help grow ourselves and our businesses and pitch in a totally different way. How can people find your content, learn more about you and obviously get your book? Yeah, the book's at 3minuterule.com or it's on Amazon or any of those places. And I'm at rantpimpinic.com. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm pretty open. I don't do a lot of stuff. I just kind of roll through. So happy to help with people wherever I can and whatnot. So... Beautiful. Well, thank you again for coming on and inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so we can give bigger with our profits. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Right on, right on. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can. And it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, Take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.